Okay. Okay. My name is Josh Alvarez. And I am Liam O'Donnell. Liam voiceover O'Donnell. Look, here's the thing. I hate to jump in right away. And, and you're listening to episode F83 of Cinepunks. I want to do voiceover. <laughs> I like how Josh is like, we have to do the actual introduction. <laughs> uh, yeah, you are listening to eight, episode 83. Episode 83. Today is uh, July 5th. It right? is officially two days after my birthday, which means Yay! it's basically still my birthday. That's true. So happy birthday to me. We got like another week of Liam birthday revelry, so please. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have planned nothing. There's no... <laughs> we say that. There's no fun thing. Folks at home, uh, you guys should know, Liam is wearing 1970s-style Elton John sunglasses of birthday cakes right now. It's wild. It's wild. (laughs) The little nipple thing doesn't work. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I I dressed up a little bit. You look good. You look good. For this whole week. I think the tiara is a little much, but whatever. What do I know? I'm not a fashion guru. You don't know anything. That's what it is. So how's your birthday celebration been going? You know, we didn't... We didn't do a whole lot, but it's been fine. I mean, but you got to watch Mister Rogers. Uh, the well, yeah, we'll get to that in the whacking on track. Right, right, which is right next, directly after the intro part. Right, but what I'm saying is, um, you know, we hung out a little bit. I got a pedicure. We went to the movies. I believe it's pronounced pedicure, but go on. That's fair. And then uh, the next day, I just you know I just took off. That was good enough. Just not having to go to work was enough for me. Right to feel like okay, I've done a thing. That's I feel good. like a god. I don't, know, God. I, I don't know about it. God, you're so bad. <laughs> Y'all, we have this. I shouldn't gesticulate a, as widely as I do. We have this fan. That's why they call me lefty. There's a fan in here with no cover, and Josh <laughs> keeps putting his finger directly. To, I've often thought when I see a fan, why does a fan need a cover? It's not like anyone's going to put a hand behold, in there. And lo and behold, your answers have been given. But anyway. So, yeah. I mean, I'm okay, I'm old. Yeah. You're not now as old what? As you. You're 39? 39. Oh, man. I remember 39. <laughs> a fine vintage. <laughs> so it's a little. I mean, I. I, know, I, I like to refer to it as the nineteenth uh, anniversary of your twenty-first birthday. Oh, I or like the eighteenth anniversary of your twenty-first birthday. I like that. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, not true. 20, that, Twenty-one. I got so ripped too. Yeah, so twenty-one. Ripped. So hard. The eleventh anniversary. Of your twenty first birthday? No. What? What? What's the number? Why are you so bad at this? Because I'm not that kind of Asian. I'm the wrong no, kind eight, of Asian. It would be eighteenth, right? Eighteen. I just did the math of eighteen plus twenty one equals thirty nine. Yeah, you did. And that was right. Yeah, I was right the first time because I'm smart. As yeah. Fuck. Yo, I like your Josh has pink. Uh, yeah, vans man. on. They're very sick. Hey, that's how I do, man. I, I like spilled this. coffee on the first day I got them. It's great. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yeah, it's nice. But you know. Uh, so thank you for uh, tuning tuning in on your podcast device on your radio station dial. We're so glad that you've joined us. Um, let's start off uh, by saying thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers, uh, a group of people that we forget to mention. But thank you to everyone who has done that. And if you are a Patreon subscriber and you're wondering, yo, where's my free ship? <laughs> Just know Liam is backlogged. With orders upon orders. Oh, I was just going to say, hey, yo, remind me what it is you get, because I don't fucking know. <laughs> uh, but, yo, yeah, it's also true. Okay, uh, let me say this. You, uh, Some of you may know this, some of you may not, because maybe you don't pay attention to our social needs. Which is okay if you don't, because you know what? The not world is for deal. living. Yeah, not a big deal. Not people glued to phones, but, but go we've on. made a variety of t-shirts recently. We have. And they're pretty cool. 
I, Dude, I think our t-shirts love. have been Our man cool. Justin Miller just designed the two yep. for the t- two Frank yep. Banco screenings that we did. Yep. And then Perry's got the, the new... Uh, Tie-dye the, John. The, the hippie John. The shirts are cool. They're cool shirts. Dope shirts. And I think because the shirts are dope, we've had some folks who don't know shit about shit. Uh-huh. And they just want the shirts. Dude, and who can blame them? No, it's not that. I'm not going to blame them, but this is right. what I'm saying. I don't believe anyone who actually listens to this podcast is sitting at home going, yo, it's been a couple weeks. Where's my fucking shirt? Because people who listen to the show know that... Okay, <clears throat> this is an important distinction for everyone to know. Right. Cinepunks... It's a one-man operation. No, 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 no. Hold on. Let me do my thing here. Okay, do you think? Cinepunks, the show, the podcast, that's Josh and Liam. All time. No Josh, no, no Cinepunks. No, no Liam, Liam, no, no Cinepunks. Cinepunks. It is a, it is a complete symbiosis of us <laughs> and without us together as a unit there is no cinepunks right that's how we started it that's how it'll end that's what it is that's what it is as soon as you get past the podcast it's me <laughs> and then uh editing by uh, adriana? adriana gober uh guest on our past episode just episode we just did that did an am- amazing job dissecting fassbender yep and us. then uh, some input sometime some help uh, with editing from uh, Joe Yannick and uh, Lori Bargeron. And that's about it. And then, like, we have writers who contribute, but, th- you know, their job is to write. I don't ask right. them to do other shit. And certainly none of them are doing mail order. So if you've ordered a shirt, <laughs> it's just me in my house. With his hands. Just me and then the sweating baby. Sweating off his bald head and with I'm his tired, beard. And I, and I already work with shirts. I don't want to see no more goddamn shirts. Um, <clears throat> there's also, like, I work where yeah. we get the shirts printed. Uh-huh. Um, and so, uh, the, the simple reality is, and, and this is, I'm going to say this as an endorsement, right? but it's also shit talk. <laughs> so the endorsement is if you are a customer of LVAC sponsor of this program mm-hmm. and you put in an order, they're going to take you seriously and they're going to work to get your shit done and, it's and gonna you're going to get it when you need it. But I'm a goddamn employee. So as far as they're concerned, <laughs> your order as the general public, is way more important than my order. So they're in there fulfilling all these orders, getting shit done for customers who they've never even seen. And I'm in there like, yo, guys, what's up with my shirts? And they're like, yeah, 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 we'll get to it. Because y'all are the priority. And that's important. Like, I'm glad. That's how it has to be. part of the reason I feel actually pretty comfortable. It's not just that they, you know, uh, make our shirts, but also, like, they are a great company, and I want to endorse them for that reason. But it sucks for me because I think it should be the other way around. In my worldview, as an employee, right. I should get priority. And y'all who are actually paying for your shirts should be second bananas. Yeah, fuck y'all. I don't care yeah. about you and your orders. <laughs> that doesn't mean shit to me. But the reality is that that's not how it's run. Right. They're professional. And they're going to take your order seriously. And me, <laughs> I had to wait. So if you have ordered a shirt, granted, I think the people who are worried about their shirts don't listen to the show. But if one of you takes a chance and listens to an episode, and which you're like, why wouldn't you? You're, you're wearing like, the Where stuff. Are my fucking shirts. Yeah. Hey. And I gotta tell you, I'm getting to it. Actually, I think I'm literally gonna do it tomorrow. I think actually, I set myself up for ruin because here we are. Right. It's fucking eight o'clock. Seven forty-five. Seven forty-five. Eight o'clock. Yeah. I'm in Philadelphia. You still have a two-hour drive home. We're gonna record this, John. Right. Then I'm gonna drive for two hours home. Uh huh. Then I'm gonna try to go to sleep. Then I got to get up a little early and go to work a little early so I can mail. Because the other thing LVAC does is I use their stamps.com oh. to send everybody stuff. Because I could do it myself, but they're, you know, they've got a neat scale. They've got mailers. They've got the they whole They already setup. do the thing. 
Yeah, so might yeah. as well use their facilities. So, hey. shirts are coming. I mean, most of y'all who actually listen to the show, you know that. You know and shirts are coming. You know what? Only good people listen to our show, so oh, that's, that's why patience too. is a virtue. And given that our audience is comprised mostly, entirely of virtuous people. Yep. So you've already t- heard me talk about LVAC, <laughs> and you should go to xlvacx.com. But let me talk about something else uh, that's also part of our um, deal with promoting shit for them. They have an event coming up. Yeah. And yes, you should get your shirts printed with Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. That's important. But Chris, as the owner of Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, he does other stuff too. And one of the things he does is... Square of Opposition? Well, yeah. But he occasionally does events. And so LVAC is working with um, a local sort of wrestling uh, organization. And they're doing an event called Let's Hang Out. That is a marriage of music and wrestling. So, I mean, if you're someone who uh, likes not just... Um, punk or wrestling, but you like both, this will combine both your interests. <laughs> Lo and behold, one-stop <clears throat> indulgement. Yeah, so uh, let me let, let me go ahead and read this copy to you because I wrote it um, <laughs> for Chris because he couldn't write it, so I wrote it because I'm good at writing things. That's not true. He, I, I put this skeleton, and then he actually made it sound better. Uh, the beauty of music, the pleasure of food, the bonds of friendship, and the king of sport professional wrestling (laughs) on july 20th lvac and bwa will bring these four behemoths together (laughs) to create an event that will surely be talked about for decades or at least weeks to come (laughs) so grab your your brock strap and let's hang out featuring the physical feats of juan francisco de coronado ultramantis black dasher hatfield hollow wicked willow nightingale orange cassidy havoc weird world dan champion Cobalt, Ashley Box, Murloc, Bill Avery, Delmi Exo, and maybe a few more. Uh, other celebrity guests include Bryce Remsburg, Vlad Radinoff, Diamond Joe Leonard, Misfit Manor, Tape Swap Radio, Dr. Frank, blah, 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 blah. Then performances by Cheap Pop, Spirit of the Beehive, and Mannequin Pussy. Oh, there you go. Yeah. All vegan snack bar, all this shit. So it's July 20th. It's at. National Sokol's in Bethlehem, PA. Doors are at 7 p.m. First bell is at 7.30. Admission is a very reasonable $10. Um, No advanced ticket sales. So wait, after working at LVAC, Mm -hmm. are you at all appreciative of wrestling now? So this is the only thing I've really um, come... I've, the only thing Are they I, all like wrestling aficionados? Do those guys like love wrestling? No, Chris is the only one who's like an aficionado. I think right. the other people who work there have some of them have gotten to appreciate wrestling because uh, you guys print a lot of wrestling shirts. Well, no, that's too, what I was right? going to say. This is the only thing I've really come to appreciate about wrestling that I didn't appreciate before. Right? Because I watched it when I was a kid. I'm not. Uh, a, I'm not a mark now, but like I get it. <laughs> I get the appeal, and you know, I've heard a little bit about it because one of our other favorite podcasts, Brawlshire Breakdown, right. they talk about wrestling. They used to talk about wrestling a lot. Right. Um, they don't as much anymore. So, um, for me, what I have come to appreciate about wrestlers, right, and um, not just wrestlers, but people who make wrestling clothes, is that their t-shirts are so fucking cool. I've wanted to get into Japanese wrestling just so I could wear some of these killer shirts that yeah, people are doing for that, Japanese. That you wrestlers. guys are getting printed. That you're printing. We print so many. Cool and they look things. cool. I just don't know what the fuck they're about because yeah. I don't know shit about wrestling. Especially not Japanese wrestling. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I don't fucking know who these people are. But the shirts are amazing. I mean, there's some cool ones for American ones, too. We just did one. I didn't get put a picture up of it, but there's one recently that was like Cactus Jack on the cross. 
I'm into that shit. Like Whoa. that's a sick shirt, and Man. it was with puffy ink, and it had all these neat colors and shit. It was really <laughs> cool. Anyways, so we do cool shirts for wrestling. Um, I guess I said it sufficiently, but you should go to Let's Hang Out. You can find it on Facebook. It's July 20th. You should go. Okay. Okay. Uh, that part's done. Cool. Yeah. I'm not really into wrestling, but we're surrounded by a lot of wrestling imagery. The only thing I've kind of liked, too, is um, there's a wrestling zine out of Atlanta that we do shit for called Atomic Elbow. Yeah. That's and, who you printed the J.J. Fadger yeah. for. So and my thing with uh, my thing with them is just I like his style. I still won't read it because I don't care enough about wrestling. <laughs> but like... Him do his zine is a real ass zine. It's a zine. Like it's about zine. wrestling, but it is a zine. It's not like um it's not just you know, so you know when you see something that someone's calling a zine and what they mean is independent magazine. Right. It's not in the tradition of zines. Of, this dude's a real punk ass dude. Like he so it's knows like what's photocopied and Yeah, he yeah. does his shit right. But it's not like shitty shitty. It's like yeah. well done, but it's definitely in the aesthetic of a zine. And I like that. And his shirts are funny. And that yeah. JJ Fad shirt's sick. So he, good. in fact I told him I would trade him any Cinepunk shirt he wants for a JJ Fad shirt. Nice. But he's out. They're, oh, they're gone. Gone forever. So if he reprints, I'll have to get one. But right, 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 right. Sick. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, <laughs> anyways. Anyways. Uh, I guess. All right. No all right. no, no longer wasting any time. We're going to jump into. <laughs> this is the feature that people fucking care about. That people talk about. That, we, that people we, we want to know. We want people to care about the later part of the episode we get into the subject. But <laughs> honestly, we know what you really want. You're here for whacking on track. Yes. And who wouldn't be? Who yo, wouldn't be? Yo, I who sound, wouldn't want to know what the vanguards yo, of cool yo. are doing with their time? I sound so good. You should hire me for voiceover work. <laughs> you sound like you should be doing voiceover work. I should do some voiceover work. <laughs> I should do that. <laughs> so, Liam, what have you done recently that has been whack and or on Trizac? Let me go with the Trizac up front because I can't leave any whack right now. Mm. Um so as we discussed already, it's my it was my birthday. Yay! Twenty one at last. Now we can drink, guys. Oh, I'm gonna get so Buy fucking beer. I'm gonna get red. <laughs> I can't wait to have a screwball and oh, a man. pile driver. I love and when then I'm gonna drink have, talk about drinking. And then I'm gonna have shit on the beach. Oh, isn't that so one? good. Slap a hand. Yeah, that's it. Slap a hand. Isn't that a yeah, drink? You're gonna get the new the bad twelve the bath, inch drink. The bathtub shitter. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, for my birthday, the one movie-related thing we did was I got to go and see uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor. Right. Now, are you a Mr. Rogers kid? I am a Mr. Rogers kid. You know, I, one of my I, earliest memories of television is Mr. Rogers. What I've discovered is that people younger than us yeah. don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. What the fuck, yeah. At work today, it I, makes told, total I sense. told two different people at work today, y'all went to see Won't You Be My Neighbor, and they're like, yeah, what is, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Or like I'll tell people like oh you know I watched Daniel Tiger with a kid and people are like oh it's a kid show yeah. and I'm like yeah I don't love kid shows but at least it's related to Mr. Rogers and they'll be like I don't oh, know why what that are would you talking about yeah, yeah. I, okay real quick side note Daniel Tiger's so good y'all dude there is a potty episode where they sing a song <laughs> and it, this is can I sing it for you go I'm ahead sing, sing it for me when you have to go potty stop and go right away. <laughs> Flush and wash and be on your way. Oh, good song. Yo. Good jam. They do a different song every episode, and yeah. yet that potty song is in my head for like two It's a weeks. good one, man. It's a good one. You know what the other funny thing about Daniel Tiger that came up when I saw Won't You Be My Neighbor? What? Is that he's wearing a watch, and I used to think that was the coolest thing. 
Yeah. They had this little golden watch and yeah. a little paw. And I remember like seeing it in the movie and being like, oh, man. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, the, awesome. okay, so Won't You Be My Neighbor is a documentary about uh, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Neighborhood. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, well, about Fred Rogers, but yeah. specifically that. It, if you care about Mr. Rogers, if he has any emotional resonance for you, you might weep through this whole film. Dude. People who I think of as hard. Chris like, X. Emotionless fucking automatons are like, <laughs> I cried in this movie. It's because <sighs> Mr. Rogers is an enduring image of goodness. and An enduring s- connection to innocence. And so much so that people try, I mean... In the movie, they address all the urban legends, oh, including the tattoos underneath his sweaters. Oh, he had tattoos, all that. None of which is true, by the yeah, way. That's he all was a minister. Talk. Yeah, he's just a he's just a guy who he was moved by his faith to do something good for children. I mean, he just wanted world. to do something good at first at all. Yeah. Then he was moved by working with child educators in Pittsburgh to be like television should be a medium for good and one of the goods it could do is educate children but the first children's shows he worked on were like very slight and just not and he eventually moved to this model that became mr rogers neighborhood right it's it was so good it was very important to me as a kid watching the movie it's really well done and i really think even if you're not a mr rogers person you'll enjoy the documentary because of how uh sort of inspiring it is yeah uh, and his story is very inspiring now i also like the movie didn't shy away from certain things like um one of his, one of the people who worked on the show was gay and he was seen at this gay bar and this was like early 70s so it was yeah, not so it, wasn't, it wasn't out there the way it is now yeah. and he expressed concern like because it could hurt the show mm. but then realizing that he kind of evolved from that point later on and and, and how important he was in that actor's life yeah. as they went forward uh was just really inspiring and really like was like oh, okay like he wasn't transcendent of his context mm. but he did the best he could within that context yeah. and even grew to a point where he was a real advocate for hope towards yeah. the end of his life in a way that was like really important so yeah. I don't know. I just I, I actually I, didn't know that he did a Mr. Rogers Neighborhood for adults. Yeah, I that shit blew my mind. Now, <laughs> like, one of the commentators of the movie was like, "Have you tried to watch it? It's really bad." But <laughs> I would still try to watch it. Yeah, even yeah, knowing yeah, yeah. that people were like, mm, "Wasn't that great?" Yeah, I'm like, good. I'd still watch it. Yeah. I don't know. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, anyways, it was a very it's a very well done documentary. It's it you know it takes its subject seriously, and I found it very entertaining. Um. I've gotten to go to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater uh, a few times. Yeah, I have not been there yet. Um, you haven't been at all. No, me and oh. me and Eva were talking about going. We're gonna go try and you make a weekend come of up it. For yeah, drive-in for VHS Fest. We will do our best. So uh, recently, I went to the Van Party, uh, but I talked about that on Horror Business. Mm. Most of the stuff I've been to lately has been horror related. So if you listen to Horror Business, you'll hear me talk about it there. Uh, but I do want to say, I, one of the things I saw, we talked about it a little bit on our business, but I rewatched Nightmare City and went to the, uh, um, um, you know, Umberto Lenzi or whatever yeah. it is. And uh, I really think. City is a weird one, man. I think it's underrated in some underrated ways. Underrated in some ways, overrated in others. Like, dude, the, the, the makeup in that movie is abysmal. Okay. It looks like they got a cannon filled with doo doo and shot but, people in the face. Okay. But they're, but here's the thing about the makeup in the movie they're weirdly irradiated people. Right, you know what I mean. So they could kind of do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, no, I get that. It's also the advent of the running zombie in my mind. But they're not zombies. That's why it works. Yeah. Here's the thing: Nightmare City was advertised as a zombie movie because zombie movies were hot. Right. Nothing in the movie suggests that they are zombies. Huh. Right. 
they are irradiated people. irradiated humans. And yeah. in the movie, um, the reason they attack people is because the radiation is fucking up their blood. Mm. So they need blood to keep going. So they're zombie-like in that uh, when they attack someone, uh-huh. if they don't kill that person, that person also becomes, becomes one of them. Being, yeah. But they're still people. They're not dead. Right. And so they can do all the things people can do. So unlike running zombies, which are just zombies that run, uh-huh. these are just people. So they have machine guns. They drive yeah. cars. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, trick yeah. you. Like They're not completely irrational. They're hmm. acting in an irrational way because if they don't have your blood, then they're going to die, which is right. why, Justin Lord pointed out, it's really a vampire movie. It's ah. a movie in which... Radiation creates vampires, people who need blood Noted. to live. Wow. And then they go on a fucking rampage to get that blood. Mm. And it's in some ways so good, but as you pointed out, in some ways so bad. Yeah. Still, I think that... Hugo it, Stieglitz, though. Come on, man. And I think at its core, the concept with, with more money and a director who got pacing a little bit better, mm-hmm. I think it could still work as a scary movie. Um, I think the ending there's a there's a trick ending that I kind of hate, mm. but it's fine. It doesn't ruin the movie for me. No, it's fine. Uh, and then, I think movie wise, that's about it. I mean, I've watched a few things at home, but nothing that was like, uh, oh my god, I got to talk about that on the show yeah. so far. Yeah. Um, other than to remind everyone because I think it's out on Blu-ray now that you should watch Low Life. And if you haven't watched oh, Low Life yet, so good. You you're, are fucking you're up. an idiot. Yo, big ups to Ryan Prowse, friend of the show oh, and former guest. Great dude. That dude rules. Yeah. So that's the only thing. I will say, musically, um, there a bunch of shit has come out. That's so good. Let's go ahead and say, for me, because I know you're going to cover some stuff. Right. For me, I'm focused right now on um, the Black Thought. EP. Mm-hmm. Dude, that really thing good. is fucking fire. Yeah. The new Kamasi Washington mm-hmm. is really good. The new Millspec uh, EP is mm-hmm. really yeah, good. Yeah, you turned me on to that. I, I've been listening to it since. Yeah. Um, oh, shit. There was something else, and I'm going to forget what it is. Oh, and uh, Rule Them All, which is a melodic Well, I say melodic. A lot of people have been comparing Rule Them All to like Revolution Summer shit. I think that's not true. I think mm-hmm. it's more like Long Island thuggy shit yeah. that just happens to be melodic. In some ways, it kind of makes me think of like, I would even say like a death threat, except for I don't like death threat, but um, it's it's good. It's definitely not, it's not heavy, heavy, but it's it's good. Mm. Um, is that it? I guess that's it. I, 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 You know, oh, and of course, there's been more and more uh, Serpent with Feet singles, and I really love Serpent with Feet. I didn't know Serpent with Feet were from Philly. Did you know that? So... As far as I know, Serpent with Feet is not from Philly, oh. but from his Instagram, I think he lives in Philly now, oh. but I think he was in New York before that. I thought I read somewhere that he was from Philly. So really? Like, oh, Maybe no he's shit. from Philly originally, but yeah. at least when I first learned who he was, he was living in New York. Mm. Based on recent posts, I feel like maybe he lives in Philly now, but yeah. I'm not sure. Uh. Anyways, fucker's good. Yeah. Killing I, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I think that's about it. Whack nothing too whack for me right now you know my, I, I i well i was gonna say my life is dope and i do dope shit but <laughs> honestly i don't uh, the whack thing is that i miss friends in philly i haven't gotten to come down here very much yeah i haven't gotten to see people that i want to i've had to miss a bunch of events and shows lately it's just dad life y'all i'm trying but Feeling it though, here's, man. The, here's you, the thing you make it look good here's the thing though if if i showed up at everything like i could make a huge effort and be at things 
that means Cinepunks is going to eat. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I can't do my job and be a dad and do Cinepunks and right. then also go to every do little things. thing. Yeah. I can go to some things, but just not to every little thing. So, you know, still invite me to shit, please. I'm going to make an effort. I'm going to try to come. I'm going to go to VHS Fest this weekend for one day. So there's some fun stuff, but, like, it's it's hard to get to stuff the way that I used to. Mm-hmm. Oh, one last thing on track. I ordered some sick Godzilla shirts from Holy Mountain Printing. <laughs> Holy Mountain Printing is so great. So good. Dude. Ah, sweet baby Jesus. All right. Go ahead. All right. So on track, a uh, couple weekends ago, Justin, Laura, and I did the ni- class of 1988. Oh, yeah. Tell me about films. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they showed The Blob, Maniac Cop, Night of the Demons, Slime City, and uh, Waxworks. Uh, I only, that was the first time I saw the 1988 Blob. Never saw that movie before, and it was awesome. And um, we skipped out of for uh, Night of the Demons because I had seen it recently. Came back for Slime City. The gem of the night was watching Mania Cop and then listening to Bill Lustig talk about it afterwards. And that I dude, fucking love Bill Lustig. Yeah, so that much. dude is so fucking awesome. He is like, oh man, just funny and charming and wonderful stories which you know i'm sure well cinepunks posted a bunch about it and i know horror business did as well so i'll leave it to to you to sleuth that out on the interwebs um other things that i saw recently that i really enjoyed um i saw the incredibles 2 and let me tell you something that intro movie bow if you haven't seen it What's up, Asian Americans? That movie is your movie. It is your five minutes, dude. It's fucking awesome. Watch that shit. And uh, don't feel bad that some of your friends won't get it. But be patient with them and explain it to them because they need your help. Um, I saw, uh, man, uh, Upgrade. Did you see Upgrade? It was fun. Um, I saw. The only newer thing I saw besides the Mr. Rogers that I saw recently. Yeah. And people can tune into Hard Business for my extended thoughts. Mm-hmm. I finally saw A Quiet Place. Oh, yeah. And, and I did didn't not love like it. it. Did not love it. Did not like it or did not love it? Didn't like it. Whoa. All That's right. not true. Okay, I liked it. But I didn't love it. And mm-hmm. I had some serious concerns about it. Fair enough. That's on Hard Business. Uh, another thing that I saw at the Lightbox Film Center was they did a triple feature of Suburbia, um, On the Edge, and River's Edge. And I missed On the Edge and River's Edge, but I saw Suburbia on 35. And Yo, that shit, River's Edge is so good, bro. Yeah, I know, but I didn't. I That night I went to go see a performance of Hedwig and the Angry Inch at the Ruba Club uh, starring drag queen Mimi on First. And that shit was awesome, too. Um, the other. Uh, the, yeah, seeing Suburbia on 35 was cool. I saw The Misandrists, the new movie by Bruce LeBruce with a friend of the podcast, Jay Johnson. And Melani, of course, that that was pretty. It was an interesting night for sure. Um, and then uh, my other thing that I saw that was on track was sorry to bother you, but it was also kind of my whack thing. In that, uh, this movie by uh, Boots Randolph of the Coup, Riley Boots Riley of the Coup, is amazing. Yeah, it looks unbelievable. It is unbelievably pointed satire that is completely relevant to today. That said, Lakeith Stanfield, the main actor in the movie, had a thing on social media that was wildly homophobic and sexist, and he erased it and apologized and all that stuff, but it just definitely left a bad taste in my mouth after seeing a movie that was so awesome and so, like, 
if Jodorowsky and Spike Lee made a movie together. Like, that's what this movie is. It's amazing. But then to hear all that stuff from the main actor is just kind of like, what the fuck, man? This just All you had to say was nothing. You know what I mean? Like, you could also say nothing and let the movie be awesome. And it just bums me out. Hey, at least you're being let down by a person of color for once. I'm just saying it's a bummer because that movie was so fucking good. Yeah. And uh, I also saw Sicario Day of the Solo Dad, which I'm putting in my whack list because it definitely did not resonate with me as well as Sicario. So I've read so many things criticizing it. And yeah. then friend of the show, Ed Travis, like really loved it. Yeah. But like everything I've read has been like, ooh, this is a bad call to do right now. It's just a rough movie that it's, I mean, it's well made to a degree, but it's also like just so angry without direction. Is what it made me feel like. I, d- right. I definitely was not feeling it for those reasons. But, um, eh, you know, whatever. What are you going to do? Um, as far as music goes, I have been all about that Dark Thoughts LP that just came out that is called uh, At Work. And uh, I don't know if it's on, any, if it's on um, Spotify or anything like that, but it is, also, it is on Bandcamp, so you can find it there. Uh, another record that I've been really into is the Former Member record, which is... Uh, the new recording by a friend of the show and first or second interview, Jay Shevchuk. It's his new uh, project where he plays all the instruments and writes all the stuff. And uh, uh, Will Yip, recording engineer extraordinaire, played the drums on. Wow! It. So yeah, that's uh, th- I think they have one song up on Spotify, but but the entire album is up on uh, on Bandcamp. Uh, other bands that I've been into, um, this band called uh, Rata Negra. They have a record called Oido Absoluto. Uh, it's a Spanish like trio punk thing. It's really really good. Um, I've been really into this shit record called. Uh, uh, what's That's it called? S dot H dot I yeah, dot T dude, dot. What that do you band stand for? That here's the thing. I've never rules. checked that band out because I just assumed it was some shit. No, dude, LOL, that shit is fucking. That awesome. I wouldn't like, but I actually really like. Yo, it. that record kills so hard. Uh, the new. Uh, Dead Dance Club, or Dead Dance Club by the band Maniac is also really good if you like that LA like punky like post punk kind of thing. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, two things I didn't get a chance to mention. I kind of like um, the Nicole Dollinger album, Natural Born Losers. Yeah, I think I think I really like it. It's just I'm trying to figure it out. I love yeah, it. I love I get if that. you if Take you like it. If you like it, hit us up. I just like to know what people think about it. I, I think I'm into it. And then um, the only other thing I put in my well in my mix column, which isn't really mm-hmm. a thing, is the new Zealand Ardor. Uh, I really like the old Zealand Ardor. There's a new one called Strange Fruit. I don't um, know that band. Oh man! So Zealand Ardor is uh, was a one man project. Now I think it's a full band, mm-hmm. and it's basically uh, a weird combination of like. Uh, like old uh, black spiritual music uh. with black metal. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, if you ever look it up, the dude has a whole story about how this, you know, he was doing joke songs mm-hmm. where he would combine weird um, genres of music. Mm-hmm. And he is a, a black gentleman who uh, is from Europe, Swedish and, Swedish and African, I think. Mm. Maybe Jamaican, I'm not sure. But basically, he's not white. And uh, he's posting these shits on message boards and stuff. And so, of course, if you're on the internet and you're not yeah. white, a racist going to say some shit. And so when he was getting suggestions of shit to do, someone was like, you should do N-word music. <sighs> Get it? Because he's black. Right. And then someone else said, you should do, in quotes, black metal. Get wow. it? Because he's black. And then he was like, all right. 
And so we did this project and it Holy was just a SoundCloud. Shit. It was literally just a SoundCloud thing. Yeah. And it got so big just off his free SoundCloud page mm-hmm. that he got a record deal. Wow. So he had to take that shit down and then they pressed it as like a record <laughs> that you can get. So uh, the first record is, is, is pretty good. I think it's it might be self-titled, but I'm not sure. Uh, but you can find it if you look up on Spotify. It's, it wasn't on Spotify for a long time, and now it is. Okay. I like it. It's might be a little overproduced for people. It's definitely not traditional black metal. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, why would it be traditional black metal when there's, like, chanting and Chorus spiritual and stuff yeah. over here? Yeah, yeah. So the new yeah. one's called Strange Fruit. It, I think it's even a little more political than the last one. Uh, it's an interesting project. Parts of it I love, parts of it I don't, and I'm still struggling with it, whether it's, like, Am I really into this, or am I kind of only kind of into this? Yeah, are you just a spectator for the thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm still trying to figure that out. Uh, and then the other thing I, was, I meant to mention, I didn't get a chance to, um, Power Trip just released a bunch of their old material in one collection, because they have a lot of seven inches and demos people mm. don't that aren't widely available. Mm. So if you are a casual Power Trip fan, I highly recommend that. I think some of their... I like the new record a lot, but I think yeah. some of their old material is like their best shit. Okay. Yeah. I will check it out. Also, the new freeways hat. Oh, you said that. Yeah. I checked it out. I liked it's it. So good. I liked it a lot. So good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. So up next, we're going to have a discussion on the films of Ingmar Bergman. Yes. Specifically. Uh, Persona. And The Seventh Seal. We'll probably do Seventh Seal first. Yeah. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. It's all up in the air right now. All right. Come back after the break. All right. Let's go make a picture on the island of Stromboli. Ingrid Bergman, Ingrid Bergman, you're so pretty. You'd make any mountain quiver. You'd make fire fly from the crater. Ingrid Bergman, this old mountain, it's been waiting. All its life for you to work it For your hand to touch its hard rock Ingrid Bergman Ingrid Bergman If you walk across my camera I will flash the world your story I will pay you more than money Ingrid Bergman not by pennies, dimes, nor quarters, but with happy sons and daughters, and they'll sing around Stromboli in Great Bergman. This old mountain, it's been waiting all its life for you to work it, for your hand to touch its hard rock in Great Bergman. All right, Josh. What are we What are we talking about on today's? So, episode? on episode eighty three of Cinepunks today, the topic is Ingmar Bergman. Specifically, we're going to be discussing uh, two films that we want to be clear. We basically chose kind of randomly. Like, I, I, yeah, I don't want anyone to think that we chose these two movies because we think these are the most important Bergman no. films to discuss. Because uh, Bergman know, has such a wide and like fifty plus movie yeah. catalog that to pick like the important ones, I guess, I don't know. It's kind of it seems a little like you know. 
I mean, I think there are some directors we could do that we could pick movies that we know people talk about a lot yeah. or the opposite, people don't talk about a lot. We chose these movies because Berkman has such a huge catalog mm-hmm. that so many people have so many different opinions as to what's important right. that for us, we were like, well, let's just pick ones we didn't see. See, Well, I had You'd seen, seen The Seventh Seal. I'd seen right. The Seventh Seal. Right. But I'd never seen Persona. Yeah. We had also talked about doing... Um, the other green... Uh, no, no, but what was the long one? We oh, Fanny and Alexander, but that's a five and a half hour movie. Uh, let's be clear. This is something I didn't understand until I checked it out. There is a theatrical cut that is not that long. Oh. But didn't know that. But from what I understand, it's worth watching the six hour version. Really? Have I mean, you watched a people. six hour movie? Uh never in my life. So like one of the things so I don't know if you know, but Melani and I recently have become members at the Lightbox Center. The Lightbox Theater in, in uh, Fort Oh, Blake. you weren't yeah. members before? No, we weren't. We're when now was international? When he was just like, what was it called before? House, Lightbox? yeah. Well, it's still the International House is the building. Yeah. But it was the Abraham Theater yeah, or whatever. Abraham you weren't members something. then? No, we were not. We are now members, though. Oh, man. But one of the things that they're screening is they're doing a Fassbender uh, screening of uh, Eight Hours Do Not Make a Day. Oh, sure. And that is a six and a half hour, seven hour movie or whatever. Right. And that's being shown in two, two hour and 50 minute like clips or whatever. Yeah. Which I can't do it, man. I don't know. Like, to be fair, the uh, Fanny and Alexander, it, it, I, from what I understand, and if someone knows more, let us know. Tweet at us. But I think it's in, it's in episodes. It oh. was aired on TV in. Oh, well, that changes things. Yeah, like, yeah. Salem's so lot is like if that, you go like on film, minutes. if you go on Filmstruck. Yeah. It's Fanny and Alexander's six episodes. Oh. And then it says theatrical version, and then the theatrical version is like three hours. Fair enough. And that's what played in America at first was the three-hour theatrical cut. Jesus Christ. Um, but I don't, I, you know, I, I, from what I understand, the six-hour version is good, just as good. I don't, uh-huh. I, I don't <laughs> just know. as good as, as half its time counterpart? Yeah, I, I don't know. I <clears throat> I'm not emotional enough about that sort of thing to care. Like, I would definitely watch the theatrical cut instead, uh-huh. but... You know, the six hour cut's available to me and it's in chunks, so I might hey, as well just might watch as well that. Do it. Might yeah. as well do the thing. You yeah, do it yeah. with, with T V shows on HBO, so hey. Yeah. Why so be I, any different? I'm not committed to saying that the two movies we chose are important Bergman movies, but they are two that people talk about a lot. So I don't right. think we did we didn't go obscure or anything. No, no, no. Why don't you tell me though how describe to me your relationship with Bergman. How so, did you come to him? Oh man. So my experience of Bergman was purely as a kind of anecdote, um, for those of you, we do have listeners who aren't part of film communities. Um, so maybe you don't know this, but in certain chunks of the film appreciative world, let's say more of the film geek world, Bergman is a go-to joke name. When you want to say that something is pretentious or too artsy for its own good, or you want to explain to other film geeks about some dumb shit you had to watch in film school that wasn't Spielberg, which is what you really wanted to be watching, <laughs> then you say Bergman. And so, right. like, I didn't have a lot of exposure to that world, but people had, I'd heard the joke, like, oh, Bergman. But really, the only movie I knew, I mean, the man has this massive, huge film collection. Yeah. The only movie I knew as a kid, and let's say kiddish, like high school into college, was Seventh Seal. Just uh-huh. it was just the one I knew, and I'd always wanted to see it just because I knew that was that that's the Bergman movie, um, and I finally watched it the end of college and was like that was fine, 
I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It didn't hit me in any particular way. Then in seminary, so like early 2000, like let's say, Mm -hmm. I think this was actually later in seminary, so probably 2006, 2007, I took a class that was a religious studies class, but it was focused on film and religious thought. Mm -hmm. So of course, we did Bergman. And we, in fact, we did two Bergman films. We did uh, Winter's Light, Mm-hmm. or winter light and uh through a glass darkly and because of those two movies i decided i wanted to know more about bergman uh and it was not a decision i probably would have i mean maybe eventually on my own i would have gotten to a point where it was like i want to know who this is and why he matters and why people talk about him maybe i want to assume that because that's who we are as people that we're just like curious people who look into shit like that but maybe not because there was among a certain group of geeks, there was a assumed stigma, which is funny because when I put the question out today of what's your favorite Bergman movie, mm. some people responded who I don't think of as art people. Yeah, as art movie people. Now, uh, a bunch of idiots responded. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to be mean, <laughs> but a bunch of doofuses responded with what they thought was a joke. Three fucking Batman jokes, by the way. Ah, nice. Oh, I really like the first one. Bergman begins. <laughs> Fuck you, Giancarlo. <laughs> Dan Scully had a fucking Batman joke. I don't understand how so many people think combining Bergman and Batman is funny. It's not uh, I'm funny. laughing. I don't know. I think it's funny. <laughs> of course you are. Of course, of course I am. Course yeah. Let's. <laughs> so, anyways, I, I had basically written him off, but those two movies uh-huh. kind of changed my mind. And then I started watching. I rewatched Seven Seal, and it yeah. appealed to me a little bit more. Now I watched Hour of the Wolf, and I watched. Um, what is the summer? What was the one that you recommended? Summer, summer, um, sonata, or summer, uh, interlude. Yeah, summer interlude. And then, um, what was the other one I saw? Anyways, I've seen more of the black and white than I have mm. his color. I think I've only seen two of his color. Films. I've not seen any of his color films. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh man, I watched one just before we moved out of Philly, and I don't remember which one it was. Mm. But I remember it was. I don't remember. Sorry, y'all. Anyways, it's I know it's so boring when I do that. But point being, um, it's Bergman is someone who, compared to someone who doesn't care about movies, mm-hmm. I've watched a chunk. Yeah. Compared to someone who loves Bergman, I haven't seen, seen anything. that many. Yeah. But it's because he's done he's done so many films that my I think at this point I've seen eight. Wow. It's not that much. Yeah. Com- it's still compared a lot, to though. his chunk, but it is more than most people. Right. 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 So. It is what it is. But yeah, it was. if it wasn't for that class, it was a religion and modern thought and film class, I would not have made the dive. Because I just, it wasn't that I wasn't interested at all, but it just seemed like I'll get there eventually. You know, like I, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't seen a shit ton of um, Truffaut films. I've seen like two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not because I don't like Truffaut. I just haven't made the time yet to be like, I'm going to watch all these Truffaut all movies. All these Truffaut yeah. movies. That's how it was with Bergman. And now... I still, again, eight's not that many, but part of me is like, yeah, but I'll get there. Like, I'm really invested in watching mm. everything I can. Right. How about Thanks. you? Well, um, my intro to Bergman was when I started working at uh, TLA. And, uh, you know, I was working there and I was working at the hospital. So I had, like, not so much free time, but I was like, yo, I'm going to spend the free time that I do have renting and watching movies. Yeah, of course. That people like. So yeah. I started with. Um, the first Ingmar Bergman movie I saw was uh, Wild Strawberries, and I loved it. And, oh, um, you know what? That that was, uh, 
I think my third movie that I yeah. watched. Yeah, dude. And uh, so it's funny. It's like that beginning to to my uh, meanderings into more interesting film was with Wild Strawberries and Gene Cocteau's uh, Beauty and the Beast. Those are sure. like the two and like the one weekend that I watched. Sure. And um, I got to say, every single experience that I've had with Bergman, which is less than yours, which again is nothing, but uh, I've really, really enjoyed it. And then. This past May, during the uh, Nitrate Film Festival in Rochester, New York, at the George Eastman Museum, one of the movies that they showed was Summer Interlude, or Summerlek, as it's, as it's named in Swedish. And uh, it reminded me of how much I did enjoy these movies, because I saw it through Glass Darkly and Wild Strawberries, and then like uh, I just saw Seven Seal and Persona. Those are new for me. But um, yeah, it sparked my interest in Bergman, and I really think that um, from what I have seen... I really do enjoy this brand of storytelling, and I find his movies to be very compelling, which I guess everybody does, so that's not really saying much. But uh, Well, I mean, I think I, I actually, in preparation for this, was reading a review of Persona mm-hmm. by um, uh, Sontag. Right. And the way she was writing about it was not that Bergman was at the time, universally accepted. Like, mm. In fact, her review was sort of saying, could it be possible that this kind of hacky director has finally made a great movie? Oh, wow. And yeah. sort of talking about it like that wasn't her throwing shade, that everyone basically knows that Bergman's films are technically very good, but you know, bordering on melodramatic and have all these embarrassing moments and all this shit. Right, right, right. And I was like, really? It was so funny because I, <laughs> it kind of reminds me how... Um, people only talk about the artistic merits of Hitchcock now. Yeah. And at the time, even though he was huge and very popular, there are lots of people who are like, fucking jag off. Yeah, you know? like pop he, movie. Yeah, making. he makes pop yeah. stuff. Now, I don't think anyone's accusing Bergman of making pop movies. Mm-hmm. But um, the idea that he makes these artistically high-minded films lacking in a certain entertainment value was uh-huh. not what she was saying. She was saying these are films that could be art films, but they're always burdened by a certain need to be Quirky. Mm, yeah. <laughs> quirky, weird, emotional, right. violent, whatever. Mm. But then she was saying all that to say that she thought Persona was great. So right. whatever. And, and very feminist, which was not what more modern people were saying at all. But anyways, uh, <laughs> what were you saying? I'm sorry to cut you Oh, off. Um, I Also, it should be noted that this year is the centennial. Uh, it's this, uh, the centennial retrospective at the Lightbox Film Center. For Bergman. So this September, they're doing a series of his movies. They're showing um, Wild Strawberries, The Seventh Seal, Through a Glass Darkly, Winter Light, uh, The Silence, uh, The Magician, Persona, Cries and Whispers, Scenes from a Marriage, Autumn Sonata, and yeah, I think that's the last one. So that starts uh, September seventh at the Lightbox Film Film Fest or er, Film Center. So Cries and Whispers is one that a lot of people said they liked that yeah. I still have never seen. That's a color one, I think. Yeah, I'd like to yeah. see that. Um, I think I've seen Autumn Sonata. Right, but uh, I've never seen The Silence. Me neither. That's yeah. the thing. If you are in the Philadelphia area and you are a lover of film, uh, I can't say it enough. Uh, the Lightbox Film Center yeah. has what you need. Have you been going to any of these? They've been doing a bunch of rebel rebel movies, which were mostly punk movies lately. Have you gone to any of those? Well, uh, yeah, we went to the thirty-five screening of Suburbia. How was that? Um, well, as I said in my whacking on track yeah. portion, it was very on track. Oh, we did talk about that. Yeah, we I did totally forgot. Yeah, bad. yeah, yeah. So you know, um, but the Lightbox 
doing the the Bergman Centennial retrospective, I think that shit is awesome. I will be at every single one of those screenings, including Persona and uh, the Seventh Seal, just to see that shit on film. I mean, you even get discounts to Exhum stuff when you're a member. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you um, do. That was one of the reasons we joined. When we lived in the city, we joined, and it was really great. And it was great having a discount on certain things. It was. It was. I don't know. It just felt like cool being part of a community like that. And we didn't even use it as much as I would have liked, and it still felt well worth it. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, like, they do some, they're do they doing Gene Renoir movies coming up after the Bergman stuff, so, like, into the fall, the programming is excellent. But relevant to the conversation at hand, the Bergman sure. retrospective, or Centennial retrospective is going to sure. be awesome. Sure, So, yeah. But anyway, back to what we were talking but about. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, because uh, I, I definitely think The Seventh Seal is, like, a pop fixture, has been parodied so many times mm-hmm. through like so many like people like from Monty Python to Looney Tunes, right? Right. And it's like it's almost like when you see Star Wars after never having seen it, you know all the tropes because of all the parody stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I kind of felt like that watching that movie this time around. But I will say I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed Persona. Well, let's jump in. I mean, I guess we should do the Seventh Seal first because it's chronologically first. Do you sure. Think? Okay. Okay. So Seven Seal is a 1957 movie. Mm-hmm. Max von Sydow. How do you say that name? Is it Sydow or Sydow? Max von Sydow? Max von I don't Sydow. Know. I don't know. I'm going to go with Sydow, but I bet that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, but you bet that's not correct, huh? Well, it, but it's that's how I've said that's how I've heard it said my whole life. So. Right. Okay. So Max von Sydow from The Exorcist. You might have heard of it. Yeah, you might have heard of him. <laughs> uh, this is a very young. Yeah, young. dude, he looks so young and yep. like, man, Nordic. Now, are there other people in the film that folks may have heard of? Because I didn't recognize any. I didn't names. recognize any of the names. But then again, Bibby Anderson and Liv Ullman from Persona, those are the two names that like I have heard of in, in, in conjunction with Ingmar Bergman, but that's it. I don't really know any other characters. Gunnar Bjornstrand. Banked Ek- well, um, who is it? Nils Pope. That guy, he has been in a bunch of other movies as well that we've seen. Um, motherfucker. Well, okay, let me say right up front that um, Max von Sydow was great in the movie. Um, Banked Eckerot as, <laughs> as death. Very good. Yeah. Very, very good. And uh, Gunnar um, Bjornstrand, <laughs> I don't know if I'm pronouncing as Jones, the squire, mm-hmm. also really great. Yeah. Some of the rest of the cast. Okay, here's the thing. When I when we when I went to go watch this movie, mm-hmm. and I saw it right away, 1957, mm-hmm. there was a part of me that kind of like wasn't stoked. And this is an outsider opinion, but I'm just gonna put it out there that. Many movies from the 50s are bad. <laughs> yeah. And part of what I don't like about them is I don't like the pacing. Uh-huh. I don't like there's a certain kind of yuck yuckness about them that even made its way into this goddamn movie. This is a let's be clear. This is a very stark film about uh, a lack of faith, a meaningless universe, and how death doesn't actually bring meaning to our lives. And there's still like a, ooh, where's my wife? <laughs> like fucking Three Stooges vibe that I'm just like not stoked on. And no one said like, hey, are you looking? Look, hey, 
Are you looking for some like just really stark meditations on the nature of the universe and the meaninglessness of life and how there is no God, but like also with a little bit of a slapstick <laughs> stick going on? <laughs> a bit of a romantic drama going on? Ooh, boo, 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 boo. <laughs> I, I, and here's th- I love those characters, though, man. Like You I, love that. I love the jester, Joff, and, and his wife and the kid, Mikhail. And, okay, yes, I love them. Yeah, and I, okay, I get that the whole thing with the the um with the the Smith, what's his name? Uh the blacksmith mm-hmm. and and the wife. Uh-huh. I get that, that that whole thing is a little bit eh. But still, I really loved the imagery of the family right. of acrobat and juggler and like Well, and the, the idea that uh, so okay, we should back this up. Okay. For those of you who haven't seen the film, Seven Seal Yes. Uh, a um, knight who's returned from the Crusades. Right. Who's been on Crusades with his uh, ward, with his... Uh, squire. Squire They've for been 10 years. For a goddamn decade. Yeah. He, they're sleeping on the beach. And he wakes up and he sees death. And he, you know, death is there and, you know, you're here for me. Yes, it's whatever. Mm. And his way to avoid death... Um, is to challenge death to a game of chess. Now, I know what you're thinking. Did they rip off Bill and Ted's Ted's Bogus Bogus Journey? Journey. No. This came out, believe it or not, before (laughs) Bogus Journey. I was also incensed when I was like, are you telling me Bogus Journey is a rip-off? So so he challenges death to a game of chess, and the game of chess sort of extends, is like in the background of the plot of the film, and so like that's what's going on. But then they're sort of traveling through the land, and they meet. There's a a, a troop of actors that's going to that's been performing for churches. The Black Plague is kind of going on at the yeah, same time. So this is all happening in coincidence with the Black Plague that's killing people by the thousands along the coast. Right. So uh, they run into a group of performers. Right. And uh, they follow them to a village. Right. And then just like other weird things happen, like. Uh, well, okay, so there's the the penitent come through town, so that sort of is one of the things that happens. Um, there is a gentleman who used to be at the seminary mm-hmm. who actually convinced the our knight. main character to go on the crusade. Now he's a fucking grave robber. Yeah, he's stealing from dead people, mm-hmm. and he's trying to like rape ladies and all this stuff. There's all this weird shit. Yeah. And then what, the head of the acting troupe ends up seducing a local woman, and then there's a... There's this whole attack on one of the actors because of his actions, and mm-hmm. then there's this whole plot where the um, blacksmith is trying to get his wife back, and, and meanwhile, they, uh, uh, the Max performer Sido, that steals him away pretends to kill himself, but then yeah. is ultimately killed by death. And then um, Max von Sydow uh, is accompanying these actors through the woods, and that turns out to be a basically um, when he loses his chess game with death, death is going to take everybody. Yeah, and so, death is coming for the family. Well, so. no, he's going to take the whole group of people. Right, right. But Max von Sydow, one, part of what he said is that he is delaying death so that he can do one good thing. He doesn't feel like he's done anything good. I mean, which is fair. He just murdered a bunch of people in the Holy Land for, <laughs> yeah, for, for a, a God religion. that he no longer yeah. believes in. And so his one good act ends up being he sends the family away. Right. So that they can escape. And that was actually very charming, and I thought kind of symbolic, the idea that, like, the one good thing in the universe is, like, pure, happy family, and right. the rest of these fuckers can die. It doesn't really matter, but... Um, and and so the, all these sort of elements, 
it's not a very complicated story per se, but they all are sort of going on the same time. Death is there. Max von Sydow's struggling with faith and with Mm -hmm. the nature of religion and the meaning of life. There's a woman who's going to be burned as a witch, and that sort of is highlighting this faith angle and uh, the love relationship. So it's sort of like the way I would best describe it is through a, to me, relatively corny melodrama. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bergman is setting up various themes uh, about death. The meaning that death gives us, the meaning that religion gives us, the meaning that love gives us, and mm-hmm. so like, and the meaning that summer gives us, because Bergman sure. definitely focuses sure. a lot on that season. Oh yeah, which yeah, is yeah, really, yeah. I mean, it's very nascent in the rest of his movies, and only in comparison do I realize it. But in this movie, there's a scene where they're all sitting there, and, and right. the wife is like, you know, "Well, I think the summer thing in this movie specifically is about like the happiness of a moment, you right, know, and the right, joy of right. the moment." Um, But, like, if you notice, there's, like, sort of juxtaposition stuff, like, the juggler and his wife and their baby, they're very cute. Mm -hmm. But then the actor, sort of, in his seduction of the wife, and it brings out this whole thing about not relying on love and the ways that love can betray you. Yeah, So, in other words, he's sort of put into question various elements um, uh, that can give value. So, like, Mm -hmm. you know, war and death in and of itself, or religion and faith. You know, it's like uh, uh, the love relationship. Um, And so the movie is using the story to get at these very important, deep things. And so Mm -hmm. in that way, it really is kind of brilliant because... Yeah, it's very effective, I feel, in getting to those points. Yeah, and it's a little on the nose at times, Mm -hmm. but I think it's actually, for the most part, very artful at bringing up these questions. My complaint (laughs) is that the one subplot... Mm -hmm. Uh, which is the actor seducing the blacksmith's wife and whatever. Mm. There's a very dark moment where the blacksmith and this fucking grave robber dickbag, yeah, they, who, who eventually gets the plague, so fuck him. Mm. Um, they beef with each other. They they come after this actor dude, and that scene is actually weirdly menacing. It which could, wait, which scene are you talking about? The scene where when they're in the bar. And oh, and he's trying to eat, and they make him dance, and they call him. Yeah, because. That could have been played for last. And I think what you see in that scene is something that I think is true of Bergman overall, which is that Bergman is as successful a horror director as yeah. he is a director of drama. I would truly agree with that. And that yeah. moment is 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 intense. Mm. You take that scene out and keep the rest of the sub that subplot of the story, mm. it's so fucking dumb. I want to jump out of window. <laughs> but that the, scene I hate, though. I hate the fucking blacksmith. Yeah. I hate his wife. Yeah, she I hate the actor dude who dies in the tree. <laughs> I hate the way he dies in the tree, like it's a fucking Bugs no, Bunny cartoon. You know, though, that actor dude was great in the scene when um, the family wakes up, and he he puts the mask on. And he's like, "I wear this for the girls. Does it work? I'm asking myself." Like, I really do like his presence in that scene, and I he has that yeah, weird like soliloquy kind of moment. It, okay, it's and, uh, let me be clear. I don't actually think that the idea of his subplot is bad. Okay. I think the way that it's played is for me very relevant to its era. Okay. Right, and I that, can see that made me want to shoot myself in the face. <laughs> that and then the, there's a part where when the squire first meets the painter is mm-hmm. very good. Actually. Yeah, where he's like talking about banter. death and all that. But then when they're sitting later yeah. and they're just doing the info dump, that scene loses a lot of momentum for me as well. Mm-hmm. And I just was kind of like so there's certain smaller elements like that where I just feel it, it's not that they make the movie bad, mm-hmm. but 
um, compared to the other Bergman films I've seen. So, like, for me, Winter Light, mm-hmm. Through a Glass Darkly, and then a movie, Retrospect Persona, these movies have no fucking fat on There's no thing yeah, to no, trim. Very... You couldn't cut anything. They work. They're, they, mm-hmm. they are economical. Even if they're long, they make sense why they're long. Yeah. I just don't feel that way about this movie. I feel like the seventh <laughs> but seal this needs movie an edit. Is, this movie is the one, though. This is the touchstone for every person who talks about Bergman. It's true. No, People, I get that. I totally get that. And I don't understand why, because, again, I was as not as affected by this movie as I have been by other movies of Bergman that I've seen. And okay, so let me, let me highlight the things that I think are very um, powerful and that I think are part of the reason this movie resonates. Right. One, the imagery of death... Most of the time. Ugh, it's wonderful. Unbelievable. The dude yeah. is fucking scary. Shrouded, yeah. And the way he holds the fucking scythe or the way he has the hood up or whatever. Yeah, he's got the white face and then just the black hood and gown. Ugh. His interactions with uh, Max von Sydow. Max von Sydow are gold. Yeah. Fucking golden. Uh, and dude. Then, and I think the ending works for the sort of story that Bergman's telling. Mm-hmm. Even though that ending is all ad-libbed. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, honestly, but I think, think it works. It. I think it it works very well, and it mm. shows sort of Bergman's. Well, the brilliance. ending before the ending. So the ending before when the the um, Jans is like saying, like you know, the newly dead being led through gently by death and all that right, stuff, right, 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 which right, right, incidentally was used on the back cover of a Catharsis CD. I'm sure. I fucking love Catharsis, but oh anyway, God, let's not get sidetracked. That band that. rules, but anyway, let's yeah, not yeah. Get sidetracked. Oh, but we just did. But let's not get sidetracked. <laughs> Um, yeah, so you like the ending. You like the ending. I, I I adore the ending. I thought that um, my favorite scene in this movie is the part when um, Max von Sydow is having his uh, his crisis of faith, and sure. he thinks he's in a confessional. Sure, and it's and, actually death, and it's actually death listening to him. And he yeah. he he tells who he thinks is a priest. Supposedly, I am playing death in a game of chess. And he's a very skilled tactician. Yeah. And uh, Death pretending to be this priest that is taking confession is like, well, do you, how are you doing? And he's like, oh, I got him. And I'll have his flank opened in two moves or whatever, whatever. And uh, then he shows them that he's Death. And Max Mancita's like, you fooled me and all this stuff. That scene is so great because it goes from this like that when he talks about like, how can I kill the God in me? Right. If I don't believe in God and so on and so right, forth. Right, right, it's right. so like poetic in its despair. Right. And in its loss of like purpose. Right. And yet the whole thing you get the you get the idea when he's like, This is my hand. I can move my hand. You get the idea that he has orchestrated and knew that death was there, but then was just playing him so he could get him in this chess game or whatever. Yeah. I really do love that weird duplicitous part of that scene, how right. it's like strangely you know, twofold. Ah, wonderful. I think it's hard for me to because... Because um, you've been playing chess with God your whole life, Liam. No, because I think some of the other... <laughs> I'm like, not even going to acknowledge that bullshit. Um, I think some of the other films I, I've seen yeah. bring up similar questions of meaning and faith and things like that mm. uh, in, for me, a much more engaging way. Right. Whereas with this, there's a lot of speeches... Uh, by backs on side of that are you know pretty good, yeah soliloquies. And I think part of the power of the movie, at least when it came out, was that 
There weren't a lot of movies with characters doing this sort of thing at the mm-hmm. time. But for me, I'm just kind of like less emotionally connected to them. Like yeah. it just feels like, yeah, I get it, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Existential crisis is a bummer, man. No, I get it. Like that must <laughs> suck. Whatever. It just doesn't. I, it doesn't resonate with me right, the right, way that right. like a more personal story would. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't again to say that it's bad. It's just. I feel like um I feel like this movie gets overrated because there are some very powerful images just mm-hmm. next le- just unbelievable. Yeah. But I also think it's partly because it's more relatable. It's more of a story. It's more of like a strict narrative. Mm-hmm. Um not that like Bergman necessarily gets super abstract. No, he's but not there's Kodorowsky. a certain amount of interpretation to get what's going on in some of his films. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh in Through Grass Darkly where they're talking about the spider guide. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, to yeah. think a little bit like, oh well, you know, the the image that she's describing could be the image of like two people fucking and like mm-hmm. what's going on there and, and anyways there, there there's other layers like going on with some of the things which I guess is here but I just at least for me on mm-hmm. uh, as we were preparing for this I just had trouble like digging in in the same way mm-hmm. um but that doesn't make it bad it's no. just that combined with some of the like again pacing and stuff for this kind of movie and right. and you know maybe that's not fair i don't know i i, I don't want to be i know for some people this is like one of their favorite movies yeah. of all time right, right so i'm not right. trying to be like oh well, what you love sucks yeah no because it definitely not to does yuck it. anybody's yum but for my taste i just want something more like i i think partly i also watched this after i watched persona right me too and the fucking imagery and filming of person i mean we're gonna get into it but the to me the level of filmmaking to make a movie like persona there's less people it's less epic mm-hmm. but there's actually a lot more skill right to me being on display. no i would totally agree with that especially i mean we'll get into it but i definitely think that the uh the cinematography of this movie doesn't compare to persona not even a little bit and like because there's some beautiful moments there are beautiful moments even in the beginning when they just show the the, the yeah. falcon floating in the middle yeah. of there that shit is gorgeous yeah but it doesn't have i mean like it does have it like the interplay of the light and dark especially with the image of death especially in the scene when um they're making the guy dance like the bear and all that shit yeah like the light and dark interplay is there for sure but not as stark as in persona and, and I- not as purposeful Right, I feel not right. as purposeful as in persona. Right, so, I, yeah, I, I, again, I'm not trying to say that this is bad, but um, I didn't connect with it as much as I did with persona. Right, so, but um, that's the thing, though. Persona to me, it's about a nurse taking care of a patient, right, who's having a severe psychiatric emergency. Right, so for me, that hits a way more closer to home than the existential dread of God being real or not. And death following you everywhere. Just saying. I know. I know. Why don't we just get into Persona? Okay. Because here's the deal. Because Seven Seal is one of the early Criterion releases. Because Seven mm-hmm. Seal is the movie that everyone goes to when they talk about Bergman. Yeah. Because Seven Seal is the movie that you can see in cartoons. That's yeah. the I mean, basically <laughs> like Seven Seal early. is because we have Bill Ted's Bogus Journey. <laughs> like the Seven Seal is a fucking uh, cultural touchstone. Titanic, and yeah, I yeah, don't yeah, yeah. 
get it. And I think that's part of the reason that I think we're being negative on it. If, if I don't know if I'm being negative on it. I okay. don't know if I'm being 100% Part of the reason, I'll say for me, part of the reason mm-hmm. I'm being at all negative on it. Right. And even then, I, I do hope I'm being balanced. I'm not trying to say it's bad. Right. Part of the reason I'm a little more critical of it is because the idea from some folks is that that is the Bergman movie. Right, right, And though right, I haven't right. seen a lot of Bergman films, what I've seen... I actually enjoy everything else I've seen mm-hmm. more than this movie. Yeah, I would agree with that. Me too. Um, and that doesn't make it bad. I mean, my man makes amazing movies, or made, sorry, <laughs> way dead. Totally dead. <laughs> so uh, dead. So dead. Yeah, but, he lost his chess game. Yeah. But, uh, sh- oh, Jesus. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, my bad, y'all. My bad. Yeah, too too <laughs> soon, as they say. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It seems a little too soon for me. <laughs> Fuck me. Hire me for But anyway, over. sorry. <laughs> Yo. But anyway, yeah, I definitely didn't connect to this movie the way I would connect with anything else by Bergman that I've seen. And that leads us to Persona. Wait, can I just get a side note, too? Go ahead. Also, the fucking, the moment that was really like, what the fuck? And and it's just of the time. So right. I'm not trying to say he was fucked for doing it. But the part where the squire's just like, I you know, I could have raped yeah, you. No, that's just fucked And then up. she just goes with him the rest yeah, of the movie. And I'm because like, he's like, I saved your life, you owe me. What is going on right I will now? say, though, the scene when um when they meet up directly after that, and they're sitting by the, the thing, and they're eating the wild strawberries. Oh, it's amazing. That scene, when, when Max Lancito is like, I'll remember this day hurt me it's so beautiful it's really good it's so great like that scene is so everything that you think of was there some part of you though when i was watching it there was some part of me though that was like am i not at the right wavelength in the sense of like that scene could also be played almost ironically like that 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 they're gonna die soon yeah that like he's experiencing this but in the end that doesn't justify anything that that's actually an empty sentiment that like Oh, I'll carry this with me forever. Bro, you ain't going to make it. Yeah. You're but just going to die anyway. So, I, I, in other words, I couldn't tell if it was if that was being played for sincerity or if it was played ironically. My my thought was that was his moment when he found God. Oh, I don't I don't think Bergman would do that. Absolutely, at all. I think he would. Really? I think that that's the moment of on, that's the only moment in this movie of peace. Well, I would say and he found peace, so, but Bergman, I don't think, would say God. I think Bergman has issues with that. But the thing is, it's so focused, and then it's quiet. Yeah, that's true. So that scene, to me, is this weird moment of serenity and everything that Max von Sydow is trying to find in God, but doesn't sure, even but, notice. Well, okay, okay, but then I think what Bergman would say is the transcendence is not in the faith that sent him to murder a bunch of people. No, it's the transcendence in is in the silence like, of that moment. Yeah, this beautiful moment yeah. with... The family. people you care about yeah. with delicious food and milk. It, it's it's yeah. an earth earthy moment. Now, for me <laughs> and yeah. my belief system, uh-huh. I would say, yeah. Well, that's because that's where the God actually is, and all the stuff that Max von Sydow believes in is just white people bullshit, <laughs> and that's just like what happens because that's actually what I believe in is that that. But but I don't think that's what I don't think Bergman. I think Bergman is pointing to him. So Bergman in that moment to me. Uh-huh. And this is just my interpretation, is either pointing to like an actual moment of transcendence, like mm-hmm. this is a moment that is what actually matters, and all the stuff right. that is going on with the people fucking whipping themselves because they're getting sick, and yeah, and they're all that shit. That's all crazy. That's, yeah. that, 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 that. However, 
I'm not sure. You could play. You could view that scene as like one more note in none of the the same way that like we've got the family uh-huh. who is um, showing us the value of love, mm. and then we've got the family that's showing us that love, love can kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So is that moment completely sincere, or is there also an irony to it of like? Yo, man, like it's not all that because you're about to die anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know I, mean? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to. I, I'm not pushing an interpretation that mm-hmm. way. It's just that was one of the thoughts when I was watching it. Is like because that wouldn't make it any less brilliant. It's still right, an right. amazing scene. Yeah, and I think that double-edged sword is part of what I'm trying to figure out is mm-hmm. to what extent is the seventh seal as a film pushing or not pushing? That's way incorrect. But in in what way is the seventh seal um, sort of helping? Uh, us see something specific or in mm. what ways is it like again this kind of you know more asking questions and like pushing a specific agenda yeah. even with the side out character everything he's going through doesn't necessarily make it like the one thing you know what I mean mm. Mm. so I don't know I don't know but yeah I, I love that scene if anything this entire movie was worth it because of that scene for me hmm. yeah I liked I liked a lot of his interaction with death I really like the squire as a character there are a couple mm. moments with him that are like eh, but oh, yeah uh but i still like him overall as a character yeah yeah he's and like I, kind of like a weird meeting of justice and i really think the ending yeah kind of brings it all together for me in a way that i really appreciated still there was a couple moments where i was like <laughs> what are you doing what ingmar come yeah. on come on come on ingmar you can do better come on buddy <laughs> Oh my gosh! Oh lordy! I would, I would never, y'all. Yeah, please. Neither of us would. (laughs) So from there, we go into persona. Persona. Now, neither one of us had ever seen this before, right? And I don't know about you, but I was so fucking impressed by this movie. I was saying a lot because I was expecting a lot because it's fucking Ingmar Bergman. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. This movie had me from the opening sequence. Which is very abstract, yeah. but sort of sets up the idea. The beginning of this movie has uh, a series of images that sort of are set up to remind you that you're watching a movie. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it takes the events of the film, and that, it kind of distills them into like weird momentary segments. But I think it also sets it up in the idea of representation because even though one of the characters, I mean, there's two, there are other characters, but the film is focused on these two actresses, right? Or these, I'm sorry, these an two female characters. Yeah. One is an actress, one is a nurse. Even though one of the characters is an actress, I don't know that film as a Entity. concept yeah, yeah, yeah. would be as forefront in your mind if he didn't begin and end the movie would. and then in the middle actually show himself as a director in the movie yeah. uh, if he didn't sort of forefront it in that way. So that right. the whole time, I'm not just thinking about the relationships between women or sexism and patriarchy or... Um, motherhood and child yeah there's all these female relationships i'm thinking about but he's by putting those things out there Mm. also asking me to think about representation about how we represent women yeah about what he's doing as a director about how we represent sex how we represent um connection yeah and how we represent how we take it all in with our eyes so on and so forth dude it's so perfect because the movie doesn't start for uh i guess about like five minutes in you don't really get to what's happening. You know what I mean? Even then, what I've, what, I don't know about your experience, but 
all the stuff that happens while they're in the hospital. Yeah. So, okay, just so you all know, uh, th- uh, the story is that this actress, in the middle of a performance, a theatrical performance, stops talking. Just doesn't talk anymore. And uh, it it originally starts with her missing a couple lines, and then she comes back, and, and they talk a little bit more about it. But then the next day, she now just doesn't say anything. She's completely unspeaking. So she's in a psychiatric hospital, and they assign a nurse, a sister, mm-hmm. to work with her. And at first, she is um, reticent to do so because of the similar She lacks experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they're similar feels, in age, yeah. and there's you know a whole thing. She feels as though a more experienced nurse would have a better chance right. of pulling her out of this catatonia that she's fallen under. And everything, um, there's a suggestion that uh, her silence is not psychological, that it's strategic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that she's just making a choice to be rebellious. Yeah. Uh, which, to me, points towards an interpretation along the lines of sexism and resistance mm-hmm. to sexism. Um, and the whole movie feels very choppy to me until, at a certain point, the nurse and the actress go out to this retreat. This to sort this of, resort owned, or this summer home owned by the doctor who's, right. the attending doctor who's taking care of... Our actress. And all of a sudden, the movie becomes, it just gets, for me, all this momentum. Yeah. It doesn't mean there aren't abstract or difficult to interpret moments throughout that sequence. Mm. But leading up to that, it wasn't that I wasn't connecting, but I was kind of like, like, a hospital drama. like, what is yeah. going on right now? Like, I don't quite get the vibe of this movie. And then it kind of switches gears when it gets out to the home. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, in, and it makes... What happens the rest of the movie makes the beginning part make sense a lot more. Yeah. yeah Whereas yeah, before that, sure. I kind of thought, "Is everyone? Am I supposed to be feeling insane right now?" Because yeah. it's it's very chopped up in the beginning. Right. But right, that right. sort of makes sense with how things flow after that. Yeah. Like the disconnect in the beginning seems very purposeful, and that right. is what I would say about. So eventually, what ends up happening is the two ladies become very close to each other, and little by little, the the actress still doesn't say anything. She says two lines throughout the entire movie. Right. But little by little, the nurse starts actually becoming the things that she was afraid of, that she starts like doesn't have the experience or the wherewithal to actually help our actress through her illness, if that's what it is. And well, she slowly is like losing herself. Yeah, she's revealing a lot of herself and then there's there's it sort of culminates in a moment that's hard to interpret in which um she reads a letter. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was gonna say so she reads a letter that creates turmoil between them. But as the turmoil um, increases, mm-hmm. they kind of start to merge a little bit. They start to become yeah. very similar. Um, and then they end up uh, sort of rejecting that symbiosis and then going their own kind of separate ways. But then kind of like role reversing where right. she is the actress in life and so on and so forth. Yeah. And it's uh, it, that scene is so intense to me when when the soliloquy is kind of read twice from the two perspectives from watching her head on or from from her perspective of looking at the actress and then from the actress's perspective looking at the nurse. Right, man, such a great movie. It's crazy. It really is. It really. I mean, man. Whew. Again, given my history as being a hospital worker and dealing with people, it definitely brings up a lot of things for me. But I don't think that was Bergman's purpose because, really, how many mental health workers does he know? Probably not many. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, man, this movie is a doozy, though. You know what I mean? Talk about the performances a little bit. Well, the beauty of this movie is that it is all carried on the shoulders of the nurse. Uh, Bibi, uh, 
What's her name? Uh, you're gonna edit this out. Um. Yeah, the entire movie is carried on the shoulders of of uh, Alma, who is uh, acted by Bibby Anderson. Because basically, again, uh, Elizabeth Volger, the actress uh, played by Liv Liv Ullman, she says two lines in this entire movie. Yep. Not counting the letter that she writes to her doctor, which she doesn't actually say. So the entire movie is basically one-sided. You have no idea what uh, Victoria is thinking or feeling other than what she shows through her facial expressions and so on and so forth. And uh, the entire movie is basically the projection of Alma and her consideration of what she thinks this actress is giving to her including things like friendship and warmth and accepting. And she says to her, like, oh, you're such a good listener. And uh, no one ever listens to me. But it's like, dude, you don't even know she's listening. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, part of it is, like, she's projecting. The entire movie is her projection on the actress. And hence, they're sort of, like, um, they're sort of uh, melding towards the end. Yeah. For me, is that idea of, like, projection. Right, and that's the entire thing that that all of this. Well, and so there's also something going on with the actress and her. She's basically she abandoned son, her child. Yeah, and she she has a son that she uh, allegedly. Well, I mean, see, but again, that whole thing is on this projection of how her relationship with her son is. You don't right. even know if that's what it is. There is no other uh, leads as to what their relationship would be. You know what I mean? Because she doesn't say anything. Right. So, oh, man, fuck. What a movie. So I, I, a few things that sort of stand out to me, like um, there's a moment I don't know what to make of it, uh, and I've seen people write about it. it. It was weird because I had read an article that talked about this moment mm. so that when it happened, I was like, oh, that's this movie. Like it hadn't connected <laughs> for me. And yeah. that's when she's telling her the story of the encounter on the beach. Right. On one hand, there's a there's an aspect to that encounter that is um, a little bit queer, mm-hmm. and, and there's uh, to be clear, there's a bit of a sapphic subtext in that mm-hmm. her projection onto the actress is also possibly uh, about attraction. Uh, yeah, like, uh, and the actress even suggested that she. So what uh, we we didn't directly say, but. Um, the ar- the actress is sending a letter to and her she doesn't, doctor. Saying, she doesn't completely seal it, and so the nurse reads it. Right, and mm. it's a little. I mean, I didn't find it as diminutive or as demeaning. The actress, the nurse, is very upset by the letter. She feels yeah. she feels betrayed, betrayed, and, yeah. and just like, oh, I can't believe you do this. It's it's very deep for her. Right, you know. Watching the movie, I was kind of like, well, it was a little mean, but it wasn't that bad yeah. to me. But anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. so, but as part of the letter, she even suggests like, oh, I think she has a little bit of a crush on me or yeah. some, some of those like, like, is attracted to me or whatever. So, so anyways, the point is, is that right at the point in the movie where you're starting to get some of those vibes between our two actresses, she tells a story about sunbathing with a friend and mm-hmm. then there's these young boys and then they have sex together. And, and it's like an orgy type scenario. Yeah. And, and I think she's, four people. she's trying to represent that story. I mean, okay. So there's a few things going on here. On one hand, um, that's she's supposed in, to be a moment 
Well, she's at that moment she's engaged to the right. person that she's engaged with for right. the movie. So it's right. her like one moment of infidelity right. in the time that she's been with this gentleman. And she's she's con- so there's a sense of confession, mm-hmm. but there's also a sense of confession of it being a confession where she's trying to connect with the actress, mm-hmm. and it feels like this experience, the way that she's relating it, is almost like something she shared with this other woman. So it's almost like. Uh, it feel, felt to me like it was supposed to be suggesting, mm. again, these sort of like uh, lesbian kind of undertones. Only the, then the actual story for me mm-hmm. is so male. Like, uh, yeah. Here's here's my one criticism uh, criticism of Persona, which is that uh, Persona has all the possibilities of being a very feminist movie, just mm-hmm. in the way that it deals with women and it looks at them. And I think Sontag when she wrote about it, didn't quite say it was feminist, but sort of suggested the powerful thing. Mm. But Berman really is not that person. Yeah. Not Again, not that he's a misogynist. That's not what I'm trying to say. But um, the fact that he's trying to tell this erotic story, mm. and the erotic story is the jerk-off fantasy of any 15-year-old boy. Right, right Like, especially right. in the way, you know, he just, he, you know, he was in me, and I just came. <laughs> yeah. I just immediately came. Right, and I'm right, like, right. no, you didn't. That's not a thing. <laughs> You're telling me a 15 year old boy awkwardly shoved his boner in you, and, and you just suddenly came. you were there. Yeah, you just were done. I mean, possibly. I guess I'm not trying to say it's impossible. What I'm trying to say is, it just doesn't seem like the perspective of a person that is writing from the viewpoint of two female. It doesn't. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't feel like a very feminine narrative uh, per se. I think it's funny though that that's like the only evidence of male gaze in this movie. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's not, I actually think that's true. Yeah, like these women, even though they're attractive women and all this, they're not sexualized in this way. No, that Throughout story. The entire movie, that's what's that so story weird. Is so that story dry. is so lurid and yeah. so sexy. And I'm sure there's a. I, I'm pretty sure but the it's reason. Such a sad moment though, too. I know because it's, it's the way such she a tells sorrowful moment in the movie. To me, the way she tells the story is. It's a regretful telling. Yeah, and it's about... It puts such serious doubt. It To me, it represents the doubts that she has about this... This impending marriage to Enrique that she's... It's H-E-I-N-R-I-K. I I don't know how to pronounce that. Yeah. Heinrich. Um, And so... uh, (laughs) My Swedish sucks. um, And so I don't know what to make of it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like... It's fine. It's not offensive. I'm not saying it's like offensive or anything. No, but it's definitely and like, a you jarring know, note in an otherwise perfectly yeah. placed symphony. And as a fucking heterosexual cis male, I was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, deflower those underage boys. <laughs> so not really. That's a, I mean, that part oh is also God. weird, but that that's like a, I'm actually the, the weird age thing. I'm willing to yeah. write off a little bit because it was in the that 60s. was that time yeah, and yeah, people yeah. were not quite as aware as we are now of like, oh, you traumatize those young boys. You really <laughs> yeah. fuck their shit up. Which like, they don't say the age in the movie, but if you look you at can. the IMDb thing, they say the ages are 13 and 16 from the book. So Sure. I, I'm, which, I'm not going to hold anyone's foot to the fire on that. Right, right, right. To right. me, it's like, okay, whatever. They're young. They're younger or whatever. Yeah. But that doesn't bother me. It's more the idea that like, this is the the story she's going to tell, but then there's a part of me like like you said it it kind of ends in such a sorrowful way yeah. that maybe that narrative works because it helps again. The theme here is representation, right? For me, right, is representation, and so maybe it helps me think about why do I hear this story as the kind of story someone would tell to be lurid or mm. enticing. And then the way it ends, it's like, oh, no, it's sad. Like, yeah. well, maybe the whole story is sad. Like, maybe it's sad all the way through, and I just don't get it. I don't know. All I know is that 
it is a one part that I, I struggle, not struggle with, it, that I'm sort of pondering a little bit to understand yeah. how it fits with the rest of the movie. Well, it's the one note that shows the, the, the challenge to her idyllic. Right. In that she says, you know, her mom was a nurse and she was a nurse and so on and so forth before they got married. So she's a nurse before she gets married. Right. And she has this entire map. Right. Of the way her life is going to go. Right. And she has this indiscretion when she's on holiday and with her fiance who then goes to town to get wine and do whatever fiancés do. And then during this time she goes to Bone Town with some teenagers. Like that's what happens, right? Like, right. So I, I feel as though this is the one questioning moment where she in her confessions or in her um in her languid shedding of her cover. Right. To the actress, this is the one point where she admits to herself. Because yeah. ultimately, this is a conversation that she's having alone. Right? So this is the moment when she admits to herself that the, the road that she is on, the path that she is on, right. is not as idyllic as she thinks it's supposed to be. Yo, at any point, did you find yourself doubting whether the actress exists? Yeah. I totally that got was the a, moment where I was like, wait a minute, see, is she I here never, alone? I never felt that way. Even with the weird representation of the moment towards the end where they're sort of... I just took that as artistic. I didn't take it as like literal. Oh, God, there, no. There were people... When the movie came out, there were people who described it as possibly a sci-fi film about two women who become Dude, one person or something. I can see that. I never that. really saw that. I, don't, I just don't see the it. The scene at the end when she's like, let us not part as enemies. Hmm. Like, fuck. Is this yeah. woman even here? Yeah. And it's it's such like a strange like and Bergman does very skillful things that are so subtle in this movie, like yeah. the switching of the black and the white hats and yes. the clothing changes that happen over time. Well, and, and the brilliance of the way he keeps melding their faces and the uh, angles he takes with those. And so great. Even like the repetition in the film and what yeah. that sort of does. And I, I, just, I don't know. There's a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is to me a film that to in some ways kind of defies interpretation. I mean, we're taking some stabs at it now, mm. but infamously when it came out, no one could really say what it meant. Yeah. And when people tried to push Bergman, he, he literally said, I don't want to say what he's like. He's, what, how do you put it? There's not really one interpretation. And if I say what I was thinking when I made it, not only would that limit people's fun, it would also make some people feel like they thought the wrong thing. And I don't want to tell them that they thought the wrong thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like what they thought is also fine. I don't want what my vision was to limit what their vision is, yeah. which I think people at the time took as a fuck you and not as like a inspiring thing. I'm taking it as a positive. Like, yeah, dude, that puts the power in the viewer for what it yeah. is that you interpret and see. What do you, what, what do you see here? And which, I, you know, honestly, even now directors struggle with that. Yeah. Even every, the most modern directors, even Wes Anderson, yeah. In my mind, struggles with giving up the power. Yeah, there's a certain sense of control, like mm -hmm. a, you know, and maybe Bergman was taking the piss out of you know critics. I don't know, but assuming he's not, taking him at his face value, there's a certain a, a certain acknowledgement in that that says like, look, like as a director, as any creator of art, you can only control the finished product and then what it does in the world, how it lives in the world. Yeah, that's not up to you, man. Like yeah, you don't get to say. You hands, know what I mean? Yeah. And it's it's one of those things where authorial. I mean, this is like, I think it's even more ridiculous of a director. But in general, authorial intent is not the most important part. You get this all the time from people who aren't super experienced or maybe very good at interpreting art. Mm -hmm. They go, "Well, I know so." You know what I mean? So one of my favorite examples was, uh, 
you know, there's parts of Lord of the Rings that to me mm. is is are racist. Right. Just the way he describes the bad humans. They're all okay. brown and frizzy haired and right, whatever. Right, right, right. Now people argue all the time, well, you know, Tolkien was very critical of colonialism, so therefore mm. those parts can't be racist. And I'm like mm, I very much agree that he did not write those parts thinking I'm really giving it to those fucking brown people. I'm really giving it to those Eastern, you know, I'll tell those Orientals what the like, orcs. Yeah. Yeah. Like clearly the Orientals. Yeah. Like clearly, clearly his intent wasn't to tell a story about, uh, people, but they're about, you know, inferior races. Mm. But the reality is when he was like, now who will be the bad humans? Yeah. Who will I be know, the fighting brown humans? Yeah. Brown humans will be the bad humans. Right. Like, that was a decision he made, and now it lives in the world, and it clearly means something to someone, because how many white power fucking black metal bands take their names from Tolkien? Yeah. Because yeah. they read that book, and they see something there. <laughs> now, again, I, I also wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say that's his fault, the same way that other things, you know what I mean? Get co-opted like, by certain things. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, I'm not saying he's like, now Tolkien is a fucking, I'm going to hate him because. Yeah, because he's a racist. But I just so think so he forth. was he was affected by a certain kind of. Perspective. That, yeah, well, let's just say. A certain, a, yeah. a certain kind of white supremacy, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he certainly had no ill will towards people who weren't white, I don't think, from what I can tell, of reading mm. his personal writings. Yeah. But he thought. Well, the rational ones would be the Europeans. Like that's just what it would be. Uh, Gandalf the White. Yeah. Well, come on. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. So all that to say, um, I think. Although what, Radagast the Brown was a nice guy. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever Bergman's intent. Right. I think what you have with Persona is a film that allows us to make all kinds of interpretations, mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot going on with it. Like, n- not only is there the uh, gender issues around womanhood and how women interact and mm-hmm. patriarchy. And again, the gays, since it's about, I think representation and how we see women and see each other in mm-hmm. film. But there's also this class aspect, right? Like, yeah, for sure. The, the one woman, yeah, the one woman's the life woman. is one thing. And yeah. the, you know what I mean? Um, and that's the whole thing. Again, it's a one sided conversation, right? Despite things like, a class disparity and right. uh, you know a health disparity and right. so on and so forth. So the whole con the whole concept is from Alma's perspective, right? Except for the letter, that's the only thing. And yeah, yeah. But also that that actress though, like the the um, what is that? Bibby Anderson. She's so present though. Like yeah, she is. She does as much acting with her face as she does oh with her my words. God. Dude, just the scenes when they're like when she's looking in the mirror and Victoria moves her hair to the side. Yeah. So elegant. Yeah. And so telling in yeah. what's coming while being completely empty. Yep. It's such a wonderful film. Oh <sighs> my god. So I mean, I, I think um I don't so a few sort of more practical things. One, do you think that's a good we're probably not the people to answer this, but would you guess that this is a good place for people to start with, with Bergman? Uh, I would suggest starting with Wild Strawberries. Yeah? 
Yeah, Wild Strawberries is is accessible because that is a story about a man at the end of his time. Sure. Who is looking back on his accomplishments right. and trying to quantify whether or not he was a good person. Mm-hmm. That's something that's a little bit more universal than a quasi-sci-fi lesbian love affair between a mute lady and a nurse. I like, don't think it's a lesbian love affair, by the way. I think there's a suggestion of... I think that it's nascent enough that it was purposefully put in there. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a suggestion, but then to a certain extent, then that's still projection. That's still yeah, her projecting exactly. yeah. what she wants. Genius a bit. is what it is. Yeah. Genius. Yeah, but Wild so. Strawberries is a little bit more accessible, I feel. I might tell people to jump in here because it's the deep end, but it's, oh, not, yeah. okay. but it's not the Fanny and Alexander deep end. You know it's mean? not like, the six-hour cut no, no, deep no, no, end. No, 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 no. The, I mean, you know, you can start with the Seventh Seal just because it is such a good interpretation i, I mean i told someone it's bogus adventure yeah just bogus sure. journey yeah i told someone today to start with winter light just because uh there's someone who's in like a theological world and i oh, was okay. like yo jump in here yeah uh just because it gives you stuff to chew on but it's not mm-hmm. like weird weird it's just sort of its own thing you know yeah but, yeah yeah I, i've never seen winter light so i don't oh know. man yeah it's but tr- i will be seeing it at the lightbox film center come september 9th yeah, where know. the uh, centennial bergman retrospective will be played i will try to go to that. oh my god i'm so hyped i can't even tell you um so yeah I, I you know if if you haven't seen persona and you are interested i mean it does it it has it it uses um I don't want to say abstract, but it, it uses imagery that's not narrative in no. a way that some people might find jarring. Mm-hmm. Why am I seeing film pulling apart? Why am I seeing an eyeball? An eyeball. Yeah. Why am I seeing Jesus being nailed to a cross, basically? Yeah. Um, why am I seeing these things? And, yeah. and, and so, and I don't know, it's not Yodorowsky. You know, when we no. talk about Yodorowsky, I always say to people, stop trying to figure it out. Just experience Just experience it. it. Yeah. And then figure out what you're feeling. Mm. This isn't quite that. No. Um, I think those scenes Although those there, footprints, those emotional footprints are tracked through the entire movie and make but, more sense as you move But that's along. what I'm going to say is I think your response to those things, though, should be more focused on... Hanging in there. How you feel about them. Yeah. And what emotional resonances they give you for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Then being like, well, let me figure out the Why? meaning. Yeah, this kid's here reading You know, book. this is... You know, go on Google... I'm just saying, whenever you go on Google and look up anything, there's always going to be, you know, they suggest the popular searches. Mm-hmm. There's always a popular search of the meaning of whatever it is you're looking up. The people right. always want to know, okay, but well, what's it mean? Right. And once someone in a fucking article on a blog tells them what like, it means, this is what that then means. they can decide if they like it or not. Yeah. And let me just tell you, like, you know, no, that's, that's not a bit backwards. I mean, there is art that works that way. There is definitely art that is layered in a way that's not about evoking emotion from you. It's like, Oh, well, this is actually a reference to this other yeah. thing, and, that, and those things happen, and that's fine. I don't think that's bad. I art personally per have se. a hard time dealing with it because it's like you judge the film that you're given, right? Not the implications of it, all the ephemera around it. Some people and love I that shit, though. And hate that. Yo, shit. I mean, you could make a strong argument that the popularity of Cloverfield is entirely because of the extra film shit. All yeah. the online shit and that yeah. world building shit it. that was behind the scenes yeah. is why people like the movie Cloverfield. Or they just like bad movies, I guess. Yeah. Boom! Oh, man, TJ, <laughs> fuck you. I fucking roasted oh, you, you fucking sick fucks. Sick burn, Cinepunks burn. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I'm really yeah, sorry. No, that was I good. I apologize. That was good. That felt good. Yeah, it did feel felt good. good. Okay, so uh, I, you know, both movies are good. 
Yeah, both I, movies have their I own would merits. Rec- I would recommend Persona over Seventh Seal. Uh, I do think you're right, though. Seventh Seal is such a fucking cultural phenomena that you, that you need to, to see. It. You got to see. Yeah. It. yeah, I mean, maybe not start with it, but make it number two or three. You got to see. It. You got to see it. It's up there with like Fellini's Eight and a Half. It's up there with like uh, La Dolce Vita. Like you got to see these things. It's up there with Cinema Paradiso. Yo, yo uh, in that Sontag essay, yeah, she said one of the insults people threw against Bergman was that he was the Fellini of the North. <laughs> That's and amazing. I was like, yeah, but people fucking love Fellini. And then I remember like, oh, right. When Fellini was making movies, lots of people love Fellini. But a lot of people were like, this guy just makes fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. He's just a fucking womanizing weirdo. In, you my know mind, I mean? in my mind, Bergman is the Wes Anderson of the late 50s. Jesus Christ. Stop <laughs> it. Just stop <laughs> it. Just stop <laughs> it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is an it. Obviously, Bergman has a million movies. We'll do some more at a later time. I think probably for our next solo episode, we might do something a little less heady because that'll put us back in our wheelhouse to talk about like Big Trouble Little China or some shit. Because that shit still rules. But you know what I mean? Like, hopefully, you know, if you're listening to this and you're someone who likes more uh, thought provoking film. Well, let me put it this way if you're listening to this and you're someone who likes more entertainment popcorn movies hopefully we didn't bum you out too hard and right. it, we might even inspire you to try something new if you're someone who's listening to this who's already a huge bergman person and you've been pulling your hair out because we just don't appreciate the man the way we should or we're dumb sorry we're trying we're trying Yo, and let us know hit us up this Please. is what social media is for yeah john i love that you predicted that that's where i was going this whole uh-huh. thing let me just say let us know this whole thing was just a lead up to get you guys to hit us up on social media <laughs> If we said something stupid, which I'm sure we did, or we got something wrong, which I'm sure we did, yeah, let us know on the social meads. <laughs> social meads. Get up in our meads. <laughs> I want you all up in there. Right, right, Get right. deep into those meads. <laughs> We're done. We're done. <laughs> all right. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, do us a favor. Uh, rate, rate, review, review and subscribe. subscribe. Uh, tell a friend. Post about us. Tell if two friends. If you've ordered a shirt. It's go coming. ahead. Go ahead and take a picture and tag us so that we can repost it and let people know that uh, the shirts look good. Um, check out our Patreon. If you have ideas for new things for us to offer on the Patreon, hit us up. If you have issues because we didn't send you something, hit us up. If, if you, you just think if you we just want if you think you have a great T-shirt design that we haven't done yet, hit us up. Yeah, and and for real, like we're always looking for help. We need editors. We need sound both. people. Yeah, we, we need a guy with headphones or a gal. Doesn't uh, matter. We're looking for writers. By the way, a few people have hit me up to write. And then uh, let me just put this out there. If you want to write for us, um, on one hand, we want to accept whatever you're giving us because it's for free and we can't really control what you're doing when we're not paying you. On the other hand, <laughs> we do we do have opinions. So a couple people have hit me up and been like, oh, here's a thing. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. But could you do this or that? And then they just disappear off the face of the earth. So let me just let you know, if you're looking to not get any feedback, you're like, here's the thing I wrote, but I really don't want to know what you think about it, then don't send it to us because I'm going to give you feedback. And the feedback might be entirely positive, but it might not be entirely positive. And if I send you feedback and it's not entirely positive, that doesn't mean I want you to give up. I want you to like... To get somewhere else where yeah, we need you to, to be, going. where we think yeah, you can go. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, don't be wrong. If your shit is actual trash, I won't write back. I'll pretend I never got it. <laughs> and I'll just pretend that that never happened because I don't want to tell you that it's trash. <laughs> if I give you feedback, it's because like I'm like, hey, this is pretty good. Let's get this to a place where like it's great, you know? Um, so please think about writing for us. I, I, honestly, 
there's a lot of people I know who I think are pretty good writers, but they're just afraid to like put themselves out there and let people see their opinions. And I just think we would love to have that. And keep in mind, uh, we don't just do film reviews. If you have an interesting take on punk or hardcore, if you or have some comic books, you've comic books you want to write about, books, books you review, want to write about, yeah. and we're really looking for people who have a point of view that have uh, a a something it is that they're passionate about, they want to tell people about, something they want to endorse, something they want to rail against. That's what we're looking for. And if you have that, then you should be writing for us. Right. Please. All right. We're going to go. Thanks for listening. Episode 83 in the can. In the can. Smoke bomb. Boom.